Welcome to Christ Church. It is so good to see all of you guys here with us in the East Auditorium. Shout out to West and those that are joining us online. It's just so good for us to be together no matter how you're joining us this morning. I am Pastor Mike. I'm a part of the pastoral team at Christ Church. And we are in our second week of doing a theme study in which we take a metaphor or we take an image from the Bible and we trace it in the, all the different ways that it's used as a metaphor throughout all of Scripture. And so our specific theme that we have been studying is fruit. And so last week, uh, we talked about the ways in which fruit is used as a metaphor in the Jewish Scriptures, or for us, the Old Testament. So if you missed that message, you can catch it online. It's up on YouTube. Um, go check it out. This week, we're talking about the ways in which Jesus uses the metaphor of fruit in the Gospels. And next week, we'll tackle the ways in which the Apostle Paul talks about fruit in the epistles or the letters to the churches that he was pastor of. Now, last week, when we were talking about the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so I took a moment to teach you guys the Hebrew word for fruit. So I thought it was only fair that this week, when we're talking about the New Testament, which was written in Greek, that I teach you the Greek word for fruit. So say this with me, carpon, carpon. Um, now, it's funny that you might see the word in Greek and you're like, how do you get carpon from here? Because the K and the A, that, that makes sense. But why is there a P with an R sound? Well, this is the letter for rho. And to make it even more confusing, the letter that actually makes the P sound is pi. And then you have an O, which makes, you know, some sense. But then this V-looking thing over here is new, which makes an N sound. Don't ask me. I'll make the rules. Um, but either way, carpon means fruit in Greek. And this is a root word that is used 66 times in the Greek New Testament. And specifically, Jesus is responsible for over half of those references. But there are three very distinct ways in which Jesus employs this metaphor of fruit. And so we're going to trace those today, and they all kind of end up combining together to give us a really clear picture of what Jesus hopes for this world. So before we dive into our first metaphor, that takes a little bit of context. So this verse that we're going to read in a second comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It is recorded in both the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. We're specifically going to take the verse from Matthew and take a look at that right now. But the verse says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. <laughs> Yikes. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? Now, this is a weird place for us to start with all of this, like, dour imagery of false prophets and wolves hiding in sheep's clothing. But it's going to be really important for understanding what Jesus means by fruit. And specifically, who is Jesus talking about that he would call them wolves in sheep's clothing and false prophets? Well, Jesus is usually a pretty gentle guy, full of grace and mercy, but if there's any a time that he gets testy with people and has a harsh word, he usually reserves it for the religious establishment. And so the religious leaders at the time 
often thought about things in a very different way than Jesus and employed their idea of who God was and what religion was all about very differently than Jesus. And so Jesus is going to define what he thinks fruit is and how these Pharisees, these religious leaders, may not be living up to what God has um, ordained for us. And so Jesus continues by saying, in the same way, Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Simple enough, right? Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. And just the opposite, that no good fruit can come from a bad tree, and no bad fruit can come from a good tree. Easy enough to understand, but what, what does this even mean? What are we to make of this passage about good trees and good fruit? Well, what Jesus is talking about in this passage is that a person's fruit, sorry, if a person is a tree, then the fruit is the outward expression of an inward being. That is to say that the way that you are tuned in your heart and in your head that will naturally express itself in the ways that you navigate the world and the ways in which you interact with other people. And so uh, if you have good things stored up in your heart, then naturally good things will come out in the way that you interact with other people. But if there is wickedness stored up inside of you, then your actions are going to display that inward orientation. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, good fruit, bad fruit, good tree, bad tree, those are nice, but in 2022, it feels like good, bad, what does that even mean? Everybody seems to have a different understanding of what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. But the thing is that Jesus very clearly defines what he thinks are signs of good fruit. And specifically, you'll remember that I said that this passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes we chop up the Bible into tiny little scripture passages by chapter and verse, and sometimes we do ourselves a disservice that that's not originally the way that the Bible was written. We only put chapters and verses to help us find stuff, but there was no chapters and verses, which meant it all flowed very naturally. And so this comes at the end of Jesus' sermon, And so when you look back and you read the entire sermon, you see that Jesus has been defining good and bad fruit the entire time. So what does Jesus say is a sign of good fruit? Well, he said signs of good fruit are love, and not just romantic love or brotherly love, but a bold and radical love in which we love our neighbors who are really hard to love, and we even love the people who revile us, that this love calls us to love our enemies, those who oppose us. Not only that, but a sign of good fruit is mercy, that in Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And in Matthew 6, 14, he talks about forgiveness, saying that the way that we forgive other people is the way that God is going to forgive us. 
He also says that generosity is a sign of good fruit, that we are to give freely when people ask, and even give not expecting anything in return. Now, you might look at this list and you're like, ah, yeah, these are good things, but what about the bad fruit? What are signs of the ways that we are not supposed to be? Well, he gives some of those signs as well. He says signs of bad fruit are people who are judgmental. In Matthew 7, 1, it says that, do not judge lest ye be judged, for you will be judged by your own measure, meaning that how I judge other people, that's how God is going to judge me. He warns people against being hypocritical, that in Luke 6, 41, he says, why are you obsessed with the speck in your neighbor's eye when you got a log in your own eye? That is to say, why are you so focused on the faults of other people when you got your own baggage that you need to take care of? You got your own stuff that you need to focus on first. Jesus also preaches against violence in Matthew 5, 39, when he says, You have heard it be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you differently, that if a man even strikes you on the right cheek, you are to offer him the other. And Jesus warns against materialism, saying that and you should not store up treasures here on earth that can rust and where moths can get at it, but instead store up treasures in heaven that will last for eternity. Now, remember when I was talking about how Jesus has orientated this passage at the religious leaders at the time? And part of it is that it's very hard to tell who is worth listening to and who is not, because by all appearances... The religious leaders are godly people. They know their scripture backwards and forwards. They pray every day. They tithe to the temple. And they cross every T and they dot every I of every purification ritual they need to enter the temple. But Jesus says, look, following God, bearing fruit, it ain't about that. Instead, The Pharisees are judgmental and hypocritical that they're the ones who try to stone Jesus and eventually turn him over to be killed by the Romans and that they love money and they love the respect and authority that their positions give them. And so Jesus says, I see all of these things in you as the religious leaders and not a whole lot of this stuff, not a whole lot of love or mercy or forgiveness to others. And so what Jesus is saying is that your fruit is the indication of what kind of tree you are. That is to say, how you treat other people is evidence of what you truly believe in your innermost being. And that we are not called to be like the religious leaders who are hypocritical in the way the things they say and the things they do don't match up. But for us to bear fruit, we need to lean into love, mercy, forgiveness, and generosity. Now this concept, this is our first metaphor, and I want you to take this metaphor, put it in the back of your head, 
because it's going to come back later, but we need to talk about the second way in which Jesus employs the metaphor of fruit. So in a different sermon, and this sermon is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're going to use Mark's gospel for this, he tells this parable, this story that is supposed to illustrate a point in which he says that there once was a sower who went out to the fields to sow seed, and some of the seed fell on the path, and it was immediately picked up by the birds, and it never had time to grow roots. Still other seeds fell on rocky soil, and even though it started to grow roots because of the rocky soil, it couldn't grow deep roots. And as soon as the sun came, it dried up the plants, and it withered and died. Then he said, some seed fell into weedy soil, and they grew deep roots, and it started to grow up big and strong, but eventually the plant was killed and choked out by the weeds that surrounded it. But finally, he says, there was some seed that fell into good soil, and that plant not only grew deep roots and did not get choked out, but it multiplied 30 times and 60 times, and 100 times. Now, if you're confused about how this parable goes and what it actually means, don't worry, you're in good company. The disciples thought the exact same thing. And so after Jesus had preached this message and the crowds had gone away, they went up to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, you know that parable about the seeds and the sower? Um, What does it mean? And Jesus is like, Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) Do you not understand this parable? The sower sows the word, meaning the word of God. And so when the seed that falls on the path and is immediately eaten by the birds, that is like people who hear the word of God, but before it can ever take root in their lives, it gets taken away. And they never end up growing a deep faith. Those that fall on rocky soil are like people who hear the word and they get really excited about it and they feel like they're impassioned and on fire for God, but they don't ever grow deep roots. And so at the first sign of trouble, their faith withers and dies. And still others, the one that fall on the weedy soil, these are people that actually grow deep roots of faith and they start to sprout up, but eventually... The cares and concerns of this world, the lure of wealth and pride and power, end up choking out that faith. But Jesus says, the ones that are sown on good soil, they are like the people who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Thirty and sixty and a hundred fold. Now, we already talked a little bit about what Jesus means when he says that we are to bear fruit. But there's something I want you to pay attention to specifically in this verse. That he says, the seed that falls into the good soil, not only does it bear fruit, but it bears more fruit. It multiplies 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Which gets us to this principle that good fruit multiplies itself. Now, 
you might see where this is going. You might be like, okay, the word of God, if that's the seed and that's what's sown and the bare fruit, wait a minute. Does that mean if I am to be good fruit, that I have to share the word of God with other people? And the answer in short is, yeah. But I understand that that's really complicated for many of us. See, I don't know if you were raised in a family like mine um, that has German ancestors and Scandinavian ancestors, um, but there are two topics of conversation that we were never allowed to bring up at the dinner table. Politics and religion, right? Um, And so you were never supposed to bring those up in polite company, but also it just meant that those things never got brought up at all. And so for me, I grew up never really talking about my faith with my family, much less with my friends or strangers. Like, that would be super weird. And in fact, many of us have adopted this phrase that our faith, that faith is a private matter. That we think that our faith is only meant to be our own inward journey. But that's not what we get from Scripture. When we read the Bible, we get a little bit more nuanced view, because that's not completely wrong, but it takes a little nuance, which is to say that your faith is personal, but not private. What I mean by that is that no one is allowed from the outside to come in and tell you what your faith is supposed to be or not supposed to be. That maybe you can grow in your faith through scripture and listening to messages, but ultimately your walk with God and the things that God has done in your life are yours alone. But we are not meant to hold those things and keep them to ourselves. And in fact, in order to bear good fruit, We have to be able and willing to share that so that fruit multiplies 30 and 60 and 100 times. Now, I get it. This is hard to do. Look, I'm in my 30s, and I've been in professional ministry for 10 years, and I've spent three and a half years in seminary, and it is still hard for me to summon the courage to tell people about my faith. That, that programming that I had from when I was young, it still exists. That I'm afraid that if I share my faith, I might offend the person that I'm with. If I share my faith, what if they laugh at me or they reject me, thinking that I am silly or foolish? Those thoughts still come. And yet it doesn't take away God's call to share our faith. Now, one of the things that I think is helpful, though, when we share our faith is this idea that sometimes we get it in our heads of like, what if I share my faith and I say something wrong? What, you know, I I haven't read the Bible from cover to cover. I don't know everything about theology or doctrine. Like, what if I mess up? But here's some encouragement. People don't want to hear about doctrine or dogma. That's not the fruit that produces more faith. It's not the thing that spreads and takes root in other people. 
The thing that takes root in other people is when you share your personal story with God. That when you're able to testify to the ways that God has been working in your life, that is what makes a difference in somebody else's life in a more powerful way than just reciting Bible verses ever could. Now, I get that we've talked about sharing your faith and doing things that display love and mercy and forgiveness, but I think that those things are also hard to do because we as human beings, we were fallible. It's so easy for us to display the signs of bad fruit and to fall in those judgmental and hypocritical ways. But the third way that Jesus uses the metaphor of fruit, I think, brings us encouragement. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. And I love this verse because it reminds me that good fruit doesn't start with me, but good fruit starts with Jesus. And this whole business with the vine and the branches, like, I know that I am very underqualified to be interpreting horticulture metaphors because I have the most brown thumb you can possibly imagine that I kid you not, when I was in high school, one of my friends gave me a cactus, and I killed it. You want to know how I killed it? I, I didn't give it enough water. So maybe I'm not the best person to speak about these agriculture metaphors, but there is something that I do know about grapes, is that if we are supposed to be like grapes, bearing fruit, our ability to be good grapes is not dependent on our own power. But our ability to be good grapes emanates from being connected to the vine, which is then connected to more grapes and connected to deep roots. And so for me, it's good news that good fruit starts with Jesus and not with me, because if it were up to me, I would probably only produce bad fruit. Jesus continues by saying, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Now, I don't know how you interpret that verse, but what that speaks to me is that bearing good fruit isn't all on us. Bearing good fruit is not dependent on my own willpower, Bearing good fruit is not up to me, but it's up to God. Which I think is an encouraging thing. Because all of these signs that Jesus says about what good fruit is, that good fruit is evidenced by love, forgiveness, generosity, that good fruit multiplies, I can't do those things by myself. Which is why good fruit starts with a relationship with God. Now, Jesus takes this metaphor of being a vine and branches and bearing fruit, and he takes it out a little bit further, but at the end of the passage, he sums it up really nicely. 
He says that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. Because one of the things that we know is that bearing fruit starts with our relationship with God, but God's relationship with us starts in love. That the God of the entire universe has loved Jesus and through Jesus has loved us. And so for us, we don't have to be perfect because of our own power. Because loving other people, especially our enemies and our obnoxious neighbors, that doesn't come easy to us. Sharing our faith doesn't come easy to us. And sometimes even remembering to be in relationship with God does not come easy to us. But it is God who loves us that first desired to be in relationship with us. And it is only through God that we begin to bear the type of transformational fruit that changes not only our lives, but the lives of the people around us. That changes the lives in our communities and in our families and in our world. And that type of fruit can only come from the love of God. Amen, good? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give thanks that you have loved us so deeply and so robustly that even in our faults and our mistakes, even in our, our ways in which we're judgmental and hypocritical, in the ways in which we are not generous, God, you still come into our lives and you love on us and you desire to be in relationship with us. God, we ask for your spirit that we might bear the good fruits of love and mercy, forgiveness and generosity in your world, that our relationship with you might be evidenced by the things that we do and by the way that we treat the people that you love. God, we ask that you give us deep and abiding roots that we might grow strong in faith with you, and may have the courage to share that faith with other people. So God, be with us. Walk with us. Remind us of your love in all circumstances that we might be the people that reflect your goodness each and every day. God, we love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.